Now Samuel gives his farewell speech. Now, this is his farewell speech. It is not his farewell speech like he's going away somewhere else completely and disappearing and retiring and playing golf in Florida or something like that. This is a farewell speech as in directly leading the people of Israel as their leader, as their judge. This is the end of the judges. But this is not as going away because, remember, for the next 20 years, he's still going to be by Saul's side. He's still going to be giving advice and decisions, and there's two times he's going to come in and rebuke Saul and actually do physical action in the name of Yahweh. So this isn't a I'm retiring speech. This is I'm no longer directly leading you because you have a king, but I'm still going to be very much on the right-hand side of the king as his advisor, even though Saul's not going to really listen to it. So chapter 12, verse 1. Samuel said to all of Israel, I have done everything you requested. I have given you a king. Now look, this king walks before you as for me, I am old and gray, and though my sons are here with you, I have walked before you from the time of my youth till the present day. Here I am. Bring a charge against me before Yahweh and before his chosen king. Whose ox have I taken? Whose donkey have I oppressed? Or have I taken? Whom have I wronged? Whom have I oppressed? For whose hand have I taken a bribe so that I would overlook something? Tell me, and I will return it to you. And they replied, You have not wronged us or oppressed us. You have not taken anything from the hand of anyone. That's significant. He says, Look, if anybody has any complaint of my corruption or taking bribes or bending the will of Yahweh in any kind of a way, speak up now. And say, and the people pretty much say, No, you haven't done anything at all. There's no corruption in you. Now, that's incredible. That would be a brave thing to ask at your retirement <laughs> after all these years. Actually, you probably shouldn't wait till your retirement to do, ask that thing. But that's a brave thing to stand up in front of a whole group of people and say, if anything has, anybody has anything against me, say it right now. And let's deal with this. But it also says something that in all of his years, the people really have no legitimate complaint against them. How many leaders can literally say, like, the people have no complaint against me? In that kind of sense. Verse 5, he said to them, Yahweh is witness against you and his chosen king is a witness this day that you have not found any reason to accuse me. And they said, he is witness. Samuel said to the people, Yahweh is the one who chose Moses and Aaron and who brought your ancestors up from the land of Egypt. Now take your position so that I may confront you before Yahweh regarding all of Yahweh's just actions towards you and your ancestors. When Jacob entered Egypt, your ancestors cried out to Yahweh, and Yahweh sent Moses and Aaron, and they led your ancestors out of Egypt and settled them in this place. So he's now saying a couple things. First, it is Yahweh who's always chosen your leaders. No matter what you think you want, and no matter what you think you've gotten, it's always Yahweh who's chosen your leaders, even Saul. And then he goes back to their past, all the way back. This is interesting. If we would go back to a people's past, we'd probably go back to the beginning of their lives. Every time people go and talk about Israel's past, they always go back to Moses, and they start there. There's a long history there. But he also says, stand before me, because I'm about ready to accuse you. And remember, Moses' farewell speech to the people wasn't warm, fuzzy feelings either. It wasn't a Hallmark card. It was pretty much got in their face. And Moses' last words to them is, 
and I know you're going to fail and screw it all up. And now he's going back and he's going to drag out their past, so to speak. But you, but they forgot Yahweh, their God. So he gave them into the hand of Sisera, the general in command of Hazor's army, into the hand of the Philistines, into the hand of the king of Moab. And they fought against them. And then they cried out to Yahweh and admitted, We have sinned, for we have forsaken Yahweh and have served the Baals and the images of Asherah. Now deliver us from the hand of our enemies so that we may serve you. So Yahweh sent Jeru, Baal, and Barak, and Jephthah, and Samuel, and he delivered you from the hand of, our, of the enemies. All around you, you were able to live securely. When you saw that the king Nahash, or the Ammonites, was advancing against you, you said to me, No, a king will rule over us, even though Yahweh your God is your king. Now look, here is the king that you have chosen. Now technically God chose them, but remember God chose them based on their criteria not his criteria. That the one that you asked for, look, Yahweh has given you a king. If you fear Yahweh, serving him and obeying him and not rebelling against him, what he says, and if both you and the king who rules over you follow Yahweh, your God, all will be well. It's exactly what Moses said. If you obey the commandments of God and you humble yourself before you, him, you will have long life in the land. Look, I have been laid before you life and death. You choose. You choose. But if you don't obey Yahweh and rebel against him, what Yahweh says, the hand of Yahweh will be against both you and your king. So now take your positions and watch this great thing that Yahweh is about to do in your sight. Is it not time for the wheat harvest? I will call on Yahweh so that he makes it thunder and rain. Realize that and see what a great sin you have committed before Yahweh by asking for a king for yourselves. So Samuel called to Yahweh, and Yahweh made a thunder and rain that day. And all the people were very afraid, and both Yahweh and Samuel, both Yahweh and Samuel, all the people said to Samuel, Pray to Yahweh your God on behalf of us, your servants, so we won't die, for we have added to all of our sins by asking for a king. You're used to the storm language. Because every time you see a storm in the Bible, most of the narrative, God is showing up to defeat an enemy. And it's very easy to think, that's so cool, and God's showing up, and the storm is against them, and that's a positive thing. But you're not the enemy. And you have to realize that whenever God shows up in the storm, or the, what's technically the prophets are going to call the whirlwind, that is not a good thing. The, world of, the whirlwind of Yahweh is judgment. It's judgment day. It's the terrible day of Yahweh, as the prophets are going to call it. It is the consequences. Remember Job, when he questions God and says, Who do you think you are for doing this to me? I'm a righteous person. And at the very end, God shows up in the whirlwind. And Job basically pees his pants. Every, so you Google it, or you Bible Gateway it, whatever you want to do. You look up whirlwind or storm, and every time it shows up, it is not a good thing. Is a horrible, terrible, scary thing. And even today, with all of our technology and all of our weather awareness, when a big storm comes in, we're scared. And it destroys everything. And it takes a long time for us to recuperate. I mean, hurricanes, typhoons, big windstorms, all that kind of stuff. This is a scary thing. And God shows up. And notice her response isn't like, wow, that's so cool. God is so powerful. Their response is, Holy cow, we have sinned. 
When God shows up in the storm and you're on the receiving end, it is judgment day. And he, the, the, the buildings would have been destroyed. Fields would have been flooded. Lightning coming crashing down. They realize that they have sinned. And that's what they confess. They're not wowed and amazed like we would be watching a movie of God thundering against the enemy. They know what that means. They've seen it. And they're the enemy now, so to speak. And they're afraid. Then Samuel, verse 20, said to the people, Don't be afraid. You have indeed sinned. However, don't turn aside from Yahweh. Serve Yahweh with all your heart. You should not turn aside after empty things that cannot profit and you can't deliver, since they are empty. Yahweh will not abandon his people because he wants to uphold his great reputation, and Yahweh was pleased to make you his own people. Now notice that even in the rebuking, even the correction, even in the storm that was destroying things and scaring them, even then God says, don't worry, God is with you. God's going to take care of you. And this is the thing you need to understand about God. God is not a, a, a God that is always angry and abusive and criticizing and yelling and screaming and spanking all the time. But he's also not always that God that is that nice, lovable grandfather or dad who's always on your lap and always playing with you and never rebukes you and never corrects you or anything like that. He's both. Because that's what a good father does. He disciplines, he loves you, he hugs you. And if you, when we get through the prophets, you're going to find out. I've summed the prophets up in basically this one phrase. The prophets are like God hugging you and slapping you at the same time. Every single prophet is just ripping you a new one for all your sins. But then every single prophet ends with God hugging you, promising to restore you, redeem you. He will never abandon you and that kind of stuff. And, and that's a good father. And it's actually like one of those things that's interesting. There's no Bible verse on how to handle your kids after you've disciplined them or rebuked them or spanked them or whatever. But if you look at the character of God throughout the prophets, there's actually a really good verses on what to do. And it was from the prophets that I actually learned after I disciplined my girls to always hug them and forgive them and embrace them and talk about <laughs> I'll never abandon that kind of stuff. And I didn't learn that from a verse. I just learned that from looking at the character of God throughout the Bible. And I think too often we're looking for specific verses. And what we should just be looking for is the character of God developed through the narratives and see how God deals with things. And that's what God is doing here. He's punishing them. He's angry with them. They're, they've been put time out, so to speak. The, the, the storm is like a spanking, and yet they're afraid. And then he says, but I love you, and I'll never abandon you, and I, w I want great things for you. And if you're obedient, we can have a great relationship, and things can be awesome. And that's what I desire of you. Verse 22, Yahweh will not abandon his people because he wants to uphold a great reputation. Yahweh was pleased, pleased to make you his own people. And that's important to understand because a long time ago in Deuteronomy, God said, I, I didn't choose you because you're the greatest. I chose you because you were the weakest. I chose you because you're the, actually the most pathetic people on the planet. And that's why I picked you, so I could turn you into one of the greatest nations. So that everybody can see what I do for the, the weak and the oppressed and the downtrodden. That's why I chose you. And the world would look at the, the, the most pathetic people and say, why would I ever want you? How could you ever contribute to my life and make things good? But God says, that's exactly the people I wanted. And I didn't just pick you to demonstrate my own glory either. I was pleased to make you my chosen people. That's a big for a father or a mother to come to you and say, I'm pleased to have you. 
As far as I am concerned, far be it from me to sin against Yahweh by ceasing to pray for you. I will instruct you in the way that is good and upright. That's a true prophet. I mean, how many times did Moses say, how much longer must I put up with these people, God? Nothing ever changes. But then every single time something happened, what did Moses always do? He always prayed for them. He always prayed for them. However, fear Yahweh and serve him faithfully with all your heart. Just look at the great things he has done for you. But if you continue to do evil, both you and your king will be swept away. That's a speech. But remember, you will be swept away. You will be swept away if you disobey God. And, and when he says swept away, that's physical and metaphorical. <laughs> because there are many times in Judges where the enemy was literally swept away by the storm or the raging waters. That brings an end to Samuel as the direct leader. And now we transition into Saul. Saul. 